Welcome to the Everyday Discernment Podcast, a member of the Edify Podcast Network and the Charisma Podcast Network. This is episode 32. Hopefully you checked out last week's episode. I talked to the director and the producer of Faith Under Fire. It's a movie with Kevin Sorbo and Dean Cain. I'd love to hear what you thought about it. It was one of my best episodes yet as far as downloads. And hopefully you checked out the movie. If you did watch the movie, let me know what you thought. And I always love feedback from you, whether it's a DM or an email. And I do hope this podcast is a blessing to you. I hope you can walk away from listening to an episode with practical steps on how to grow in discernment with encouragement. You know, we all need encouragement. And so I definitely hope that this podcast encourages you. If there's something else you'd like to see, let me know. Along with encouragement, I want to let you know too about my free 14-day discernment devotional called Eyes on Jesus. There is no better time than right now to keep our eyes on Jesus. And I really hope and pray my devotional can help you do that. That's why I wrote it, to keep our eyes on Jesus. And it's what I always say at the end of every episode. And for today, I have Pastor Kenny Luck with me. I definitely love his sermons and listening to his podcast at Everyman Ministries. I hope you are blessed by this episode, and I hope you can take away something practical from this episode as well. Here we go. Welcome to the Everyday Discernment Podcast. This show is about you and your walk with Jesus as we grow in discernment together so that we can make better daily decisions that honor God in all we do. We will align all things against the Bible and give you practical steps to run your Christian race to win. And now your host, the discerning dad, Tim Ferrara. Welcome to the Everyday Discernment Podcast. I am here today with Kenny Luck. He's the pastor at Crossline Church in Laguna Hills, California. He's an award-winning author of 24 books covering marriage, family, and men's issues, including his most recent book we'll talk about, Dangerous Good. Kenny is also the founder of Every Man Ministries, which helps churches develop healthy men's ministries. Welcome to the show, Kenny. All right. Thank you, Tim. It's really good to be with you. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for being here. I, I was I was telling you before we got on how I just enjoy your your messages, your sermons that that are on the podcast as well. They just they always are uplifting. I always find some truth in them, and so it's just an honor to talk to you. Right on. So, um, just give give everyone a you know an overview, kind of about yourself, your family. You know, anything you want to share? Well, been married to Chrissy for thirty two years. I have three great millennials. <laughs> Kara, Ryan, and Jenna, they're, they're all graduated from college and um, we're in a new season of life as uh, a family. Um, I live in California. I'm a native California. Um, my, my background is, um, is, is Guamanian, my ethnic background. I'm a Pacific Islander, so that's sort of my tribe. I grew up in a cross-cultural family. I'm the last of seven. I'm a Navy brat. I tell people uh, in a family of five boys and two girls, I grew up in a terrorist cell. <laughs> um, so that's kind of like my immediate family and then sort of my family background. How, where, did you grow up in a Christian household or when did you accept Jesus? Yeah. Um, well, I, I describe my, my conversion to Christ as um, Pascal, the famous philosopher did, and more recently Denzel Washington. I had a, I had a night of fire mm. where... I came home from a party, a little buzzed. My senior year at Lindbergh High School, I was the life of the party. And I think I did college and high school um, in the general sense of I, um, I looked for acceptance and belonging and approval in academics and athletics and 
my social network before there were likes and um, pursued that with a lot of energy, but in very short order discovered that um, the summit just kept moving. Mm. I never reached that place where you're supposed to get to this catharsis and you sit down and <laughs> you kind of arrived. I had three jobs, I had money than my dad. I had great social connections. There was achievement there. There was a little bit of achievement. I was headed to a great school, UCLA, uh, here on the West Coast, had a girlfriend. She was great. Um, but there was this emptiness and void. And so I used to pray, Tim, the Lord's Prayer every night as a good Catholic. And I did that. It was sort of like press play, and then it, words filed out of my mouth. And this particular night in the summer of 1982, I came back and I, I got down on my knees to pray, but I started with our father who art in heaven. And then I just stopped. Mm. And then I just said, Jesus, I want to see you. I really want to, I need to see you. I need to see you. And I said, Jesus, I want to see you. And it's completely subjective and on my own, but Jesus answered that prayer. And, you know, your listeners might be asking, well, what happens when Jesus shows up in the back room of a four-bedroom house because of an <laughs> honest prayer? Well, he brings his person. He brings his presence. He brings his power. I was completely flooded with acceptance, grace, truth, purpose, all in one moment. Mm. And um, from, you know, like the old classic preachers say, from the, the top of my head to the bottom of my toes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I knew that the fight was over. The fight for approval was over. I could stop chasing acceptance. Something had happened. Jesus had entered my life. And I remember going to school the next day and telling my best friend who was Jewish, Tim, uh, you're not going to believe what happened to me last <laughs> night. And I told him exactly what I'm telling you and your listeners right now. And um, it was that real. So it was, it was very much a desperate moment an honest prayer mm. and the honoring of a promise. And I now in, in hindsight, when I read Jeremiah 29 um, and it says, you'll seek me and come and pray to me and I will be found by you declares the Lord. When you search for me with all your heart, that, that mm. promise is true. Wow. That's so powerful. And the difference, like you said, is your heart, like you were just mouthing the words before, but you got to the point where you, you desperately were seeking God and Jesus. And he, and he answered that, you know, and I think it's so easy to go through the motions, whether you're a Christian or not, and just kind of not know what you're searching for until sometimes you have to hit that breaking point of, okay, God, I need you. I have, no, I have nothing else left. I've tried all the other options. And, you know, God, God answers that in, in, in many different ways. Um, and that's a powerful story. So Thank when did you. you get the calling for uh, being a pastor in, in the ministry that you're, you're working on now? Well, when you come out of an experience like that, like I had, and it's not everybody's experience. Some people's experience are more gradual. Some, some people go from affiliation to Jesus to activation. There's a moment of insight and revelation where they discern that it's real. But for me, it was so intense that it was almost immediately, Tim, I knew that my life would be different, that my trajectory would be different. I didn't know what it looked like, didn't know what it meant. But um, I knew that in some way I would be uh, living out what just happened to me in a direct, intentional way. And I wanted to. 
I wanted to really work out what just had been worked in. And so that was a process. Three months later, I got to UCLA and I got involved in a men's group, um, uh, a small Bible study. There was a campus minister there that had um, five other guys uh, in it. And uh, I was, um, as Jesus said, um, I, I was made a disciple mm. uh, by a disciple. Yeah. And it was a great experience. We would meet weekly. We would open God's word. We would seek to apply it to our lives. We did life together. We were in community. And so watching his life that was so attractive, not only was he a great guy, his name is J.P. Jones, but not only was J.P.'s life so attractive, but he was a man. He was strong and he was compassionate. He, um, he was a servant, but he was very sacrificial. I mean, he loved God's word. And I think that really stood out as his primary thing. He just lived out, knew, and applied God's word openly mm. uh, in his life. He had integrity that way. And I wanted to be like him. And so that's kind of the inception led to relationship and community, a model, a mentor. And then, you know, you go, well, gosh, what, what does he do? Well, he you know, he, he, he disciples men who make disciples. Mm. And so uh, I joined a missionary organization just after college and started doing the same thing for a few years. Well, that's awesome. That, you know, we'll talk more just the importance of discipleship, finding someone to connect to you who knows more than you can mentor you. And I think that's yeah. so important in, in all of our lives. Well, we're going to take a quick step back and do some rapid fire icebreaker questions. So sure. ready? Yeah, go for it. All right. What's your favorite movie of all time? Um, probably Forrest Gump. I'm a Tom Hanks fan. <laughs> nice. Classic. Yes. And if you could meet anybody alive or dead, who would it be and why? Um, Martin Luther. Mm. Um, because he was uh, a sincere reformer who then became a persecuted reformer. Yeah. Who changed Western civilization. That's great. There's a podcast that just came out. I, I'm, I'm plugging them. I not paid to, but it's, it's called Martin Luther and it goes through the, like the time frame of him after he nailed the thesis on the door. And it's like number one in the podcast charts right now. It's probably going to be completed by the time people hear this, but it's, yeah, it's if your listeners um, would like uh, the best biography, it's written by Eric Metaxas. Mm, okay, cool. Yeah. What about another favorite author or, or book you'd recommend? Well, I, kind of in the um, non-spiritual zone, I'm a I'm a Ludlum, I'm a Vince Flynn, I'm a James Patterson kind of whodunit sort of guy on the spiritual front. You know, I'm a huge fan of A.W. Tozer, probably mm. my most formative spiritual yes. mentor, Walt Hendrickson. You know, those two. I'm just reading a book from Tozer. It's well, it's three of his books together: "Knowledge of the Holy Pursuit of God" and oh, "God's Pursuit man. of Man." And wow. ooh, one sentence at a time, man. Exactly. And right? I, I started reading it like I would a, a normal book, you know. And and oh, I'll read a chapter a day. Nope, can't no, do that. You no, know. uh, like you said, a page at the most, maybe a day, and just kind of it's uh, it's so good to reflect on just a few sentences, and it's so deep, so good. Yeah, knowledge of the holy was a game changer for me because um, what it taught me, of course, in hindsight, as I look back at it, is that my life in God reflects my view of God. Yeah. And if my view of God is off, my life in God is off. And mm. so for all your listeners, and I'm sure you would agree, Tim, knowledge of the holy is got to be in there somewhere. Yeah. You know, in your spiritual formation. It, it's, it's, it's the best. So good. All right. What do you do in your free time? What hobbies do you have? Um, I like to golf. I like to mountain bike and road bike, and I just like to train physically. 
and hang out with my daughter, Jenna. <laughs> Who helped you uh, troubleshoot technical stuff earlier. Well, that's exactly why. There's yeah. a utilitarian <laughs> pragmatism that goes with uh, hanging out with Jenna. She's smarter than me. She's, we call her Summa. She's Summa Cum Laude from UCLA. So we, we turn to Dr. Luck when there is a, <laughs> is, is a problem in the nice. house. Cool. Well, we're going to go to the two questions I ask all my guests about transparency with discernment, a time you had godly discernment and kind of what you learned from it, and then a time you did not. And then with the hope of just people listening to these stories to help us apply discernment to our life, where no two examples are exactly the same, but the process and the pattern that we use to kind of hear God's voice can be similar. So if you want to start with the time that you had great discernment and kind of what you learned from that one. Um, it's recent. I, I have a very recent current example. You know, sometimes when I looked at the question or hear the question, I, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, what chapter of my life? Well, it's the recent chapter. So mm. everyone's been through um, this pandemic. Everybody's been shut down. I mean, it's a global thing. And, and I had a 21 city uh, tour, dangerous good tour. Venues were reserved. Buses were rented. We had Jesus culture. We were coming to do transfer city transformation conferences and that all got canceled. Um, especially when, um, insurance writers can't be completed and no one will insure your event. You have to shut it down. So, um, the future all of a sudden had a big question mark and, um, early on, because I think California got shut down first, our governor moved very quickly. I thought to myself, okay, I was going to teach through one thing on the men's global live stream. Now I'm going to, now that men are going to have to be home. (laughs) Yeah. This is basic discernment, right? Yes. People who used to go to work are going to have to stay home now. I pivoted and made much of a seven part series called the Corona Chronicles. Mm. And it's based on the book of Philippians, which was written in quarantine. And the theme verse for that was, whatever happens, let us conduct ourselves in a manner worthy Mm. of the gospel, right? Standing firm in the one spirit, striving together for faith Mm. in the gospel. And so I talked about how to live out our faith in craziness for seven weeks. And our our live stream audience grew 40 times. But you see, I could have just kind of plowed ahead, you know, but I stopped, I paused. I'm like, okay, God, what are you doing? What do you want to do? What, what's happening? Just basic questions. And then in faith saying, all right, let's go for it. Um, Let's complete this, this, this discernment that I'm receiving with an action. Mm. And, uh, and so I called my producer and we pivoted really fast and we did a, a big, uh, digital media push just to say, Hey, this is where we're going. If you're home, and it turned into this worldwide thing where during those seven weeks, I got responses from all over the world. And I even compiled this little video of men from India and London and on oil platforms just saying, hey, this is Tim. I'm fighting the good fight with you from Odessa, Texas and New York yeah. City. And it became this moment of encouragement where wow. you're not alone. And there are other guys who are fighting the good fight with you during this crazy time. And guess what, guys? We're going to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, whatever happens. That's awesome. And I think, you know, I think of the verse, you know, man has his plans, but God ordains his steps. And so a lot of times our plans have to come in alignment with what God is doing and not what we want to do, especially in a year of 2020 where, you know, we we all had a... (laughs) A journal or resolutions that we threw out the window, you know, after this hit. And, um, 
it's important to, like you said, not just have discernment, but take action on what you're hearing from God. And you can hear God all day, but unless you actually put into practice, the Bible says, put into practice what you received. And, you know, same thing with reading the Bible, unless you put into practice what you're reading, it just becomes a book. And so I think that's so important with discernment. When you hear from God, when you're hearing that push, that direction, do it. You know, if, if it's God's timing, then, then don't wait. Yeah. I, 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 I agree with you 100%. And one of the points of application has to do with what the gospel is and the gospel, no one looking at Jesus hanging on the cross said to themselves, Tim, wow, there's a lot of purpose in this. Mm. Uh, no one watching this un- injustice happen said, wow, there's not, a, there's, not a, there's not a lot of purpose in this. Everybody was confused and disillusioned because their expectations for him and for his presence was unfulfilled. But what we learned through the gospel is that, that God's presence isn't contingent on our prosperity and our expectations being filled, but actually God's presence is very near and very powerful in adversity. Mm-hmm. So if, if the gospel is God taking a crucifixion and bringing out of it salvation and redemption for humanity, which is going to be a culmination in, in the future of both history and eternity, then certainly God can redeem uh, adversity for his intention. And, yeah. and that's where, you know, the, the westernized uh, kind of consumer gospel uh, lacks discernment to put yeah. it in in the language of that we're talking about, where you know there was tremendous opportunity. In fact, the Joshua study did a uh, Joshua fund did a study on people during cor- the Corona pandemic, and it's still happening right now. Where over half of them said, "This is our, my wake up call with God." Mm. Yeah, and so where where are we? Are we using that discernment and recognizing that God is at work in adversity, probably more than in our prosperity? Yeah. Um, and taking advantage of this openness that people have. So, yeah. The, the same thing, you know, whenever there's a major crisis, you look at 9-11 and the churches were packed after yes. that. And how quickly, in a matter of months, people started going back to what was just comfortable. And, right. And so sometimes God has to jostle us out of our comfort zone in order to pursue him and, and realize what's important in life. Yeah, because days turn to months and months turn to years. And before mm-hmm. you know it, we're 10 years down the road and, and no further right. deeper with God than we started. And it has to be intentional and it has to be built into our routines and not make it an afterthought. That's good. Preach. <laughs> awesome. So uh, is there a time you could share where you maybe didn't have the greatest discernment and, and what you learned from it? Yeah, I... The, the big chapter in my life, I think, um, has to do with a foothold in a lot of our lives, and it has to do with materialism. It has to do with finances. It has to do with money. You know, I'm, I was a seminary trained at the time, CEO of a company, making good money, but I trusted credit cards and, and credit more than I did uh, God's word. Mm. And um, I compartmentalized the discernment that God gave me. God said he owns everything. God said, be generous like I'm generous. And and I operated on the principle of scarcity and, and fear versus on the principle of generosity and faith, the way the Bible says. And so mm-hmm. um, I had that discernment, but I compartmentalized it um, as humans do um, because we're operating out of fear, not faith. And um, it was a hard lesson. You know, here I was 
um, making very good money. And, um, but I was not trust. I trusted God with everything, but in my financial area, I was a functional atheist. Oh, wow. I believe that God was wise in every other area of my life for my relationships, mm. for my marriage, for how I treated people, for my work, for my ethics. But in the area of financial uh, management, I've, you know, I, I acted like a practical atheist and God mm. will, will run us into that, that cul-de-sac of life because he loves us too much to leave us the way we are. And so um, I had got upside down. Like a lot of us, we get upside down. We, we, we spend money that we don't have to please people that we don't know. Um, <laughs> and, um, and I got caught up in that. I was, I was in the world uh, in that aspect of my life. And God said, you don't belong to that. You don't belong to the world. You're not mm. supposed to act like that. And so he let me uh, borrow trouble, literally, Mm. Uh, on that. And then just kind of when my fancy German sports car, uh, I couldn't, I didn't have the cash to fix it. And my credit cards were maxed out. I was driving my, my wife's minivan you know, <laughs> to work. And it really, when the pain of the circumstances exceed your fear mm. of change, sometimes God will allow the circumstances to get to that point where, uh, you know, the, the fear of change is exceeded by the pain of the circumstances. And then that leads us to go, okay, this isn't working, need another plan. And all I had to do was simply go and in faith embrace the discernment I already had in the area mm. of finances. So that's probably the most salient moment where I can see, gosh, I really didn't have discernment in the area of money. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the Bible is, there's no shortage of verses about money in the Bible. And, and right. it's one of the areas, especially in American culture that we try to hold on to it, you know, okay, God take everything, but you know, I'm going to hold on to this, this one thing, right. I can't let it go. And, you know, only by letting it go, are you free from the power of money yes. and being in control? And, yeah. you know, God, I always say God can do more with our 90% than we can do with our hundred percent because That's right we, when we try to be the, the driver of our, of our minivan, I guess, to use your, right. your, your example, um, you know, God is the one that often has to show us that, yeah, he does own everything. He, he doesn't worry about money like we do. And, you know, when the Bible says, don't, you know, put all things through prayer and supplication, money is, is on the table where, yeah, it, it can be something that, you know, the world wants us to, to stress about you hear see ads all the time for credit cards and for, you know, you need right. the newest thing, you need the newest right. car, you need the Impulse. newest, whatever impulse. Right. Yeah. But it really takes discernment to know that, you know, what is my budget? Am I giving to God first? And then right. how can I bless people? And, and Amen. so. Amen. And I, I think there are just two more things. And I think our, our audience will, will benefit from this. God wants us to be like him mm -hmm. and he's generous. Yeah. You know, and when we're, when we're self-absorbed and stingy, our world shrinks. But when we're generous, like God, it expands. So there's the wisdom part of it, but then there's the character part of it. Yeah. You know, where we never win by st being stingy. Our character shrinks. Yeah. Our world becomes small. I mean, just think of stingy people. They have a small world. Yeah. And it's, it's, Scrooge. it's ro rooted in, it's rooted you know, in fear. And, um, and then there's just the faith part of it where it's like, gosh, I can trust you for salvation, but I can't trust you to provide. And then you go back and read the sermon on the Mount, you know, and it's like, Hey, 
you have kids, they don't worry about if there's going to be milk in the fridge. They never think about that. Right. You know, you don't think. And, you know, my eyes on the sparrow. And so, again, it goes back to kind of one of our previous points is that my life in God reflects my view of God. Yeah. You know, if he really sees and is able and knows. And, and that's when I was at the peak of my career in the marketplace. I was a chief executive officer mm. of a company. And here I was, you know, experiencing worldly position and status, but I was in bondage to materialism. And I think God had to work that out before I, I, I re-entered the yeah. ministry because I went missionary to marketplace and then back into ministry. And there were some things in my character that needed to happen before God could use me the way he wanted to. Right. And I would point out too, I think there's a difference between generous and frivolous, right? Right. We do have to have discernment with our finances. We have to be good stewards, but at the same time, we can't let it control us. We have to let God control us and use it as he purposes. That's right. This podcast is part of the Edify Podcast Network. Edify is a faith-inspiring app that brings together thousands of the best Christian podcasts in one place for your listening enjoyment. Cut through the noise and grow your faith by diving into the world's top Christian podcasts today. Download the Edify app for free from the App Store or Google Play or by going to edify.app. That's E-D-I-F-I dot app. So I want to move on to talking about Everyman Ministries that uh, you founded and just talk about why you... uh, created that and then how God has used it to help men? Um, Simple reason for the creation, Um, pain. I I just simply looked out on the cultural landscape. And when you see that 42 million human, human trafficked women providing services for men, when you see 173 million orphans who don't have a dad or two sets, a set of parents, when you kind of analyze what's going on in metro urban areas and you see the chaos and dysfunction um, flooding out of fatherlessness and the, the generational impact of that, the, the incarceration that comes out of that, the drug use that comes out of that, just kids growing up um, in families that, that lack a father and the sociology of that. Um, when you when you hear a heartbreaking statistic that while you and I are talking every 16 seconds, a woman is hit in the face by mm-hmm. the hand of a man. Wow. Um, then you have to ask yourself if if broken male character is at the root of these injustices, then I can do something about that. And that was the fundamental reason why I started every man. Um, the Bible tells us that God, is a God who loves righteousness and justice. And justice biblically simply means to give what is due. So if, if compassion is due, you give compassion. If protection is due, you give protection. If discipline is due, you give discipline. And you know you see the spiritual battle at its root when you study injustice and then you look at the hearts of men and you see that broken male character and conduct is at the root of these major injustices. And I don't even have to talk about scripture. I can just look at the facts empirically. Then you have to then do the math of that. If, if broken male character and conduct is causing this healthy male character and conduct can turn it around and make suffering go down and Mm. bless women and children that are connected to us and we can empower health. So what is the best transformer of uh, male heart, character, and conduct? Well, 
It's not from the outside in, that's for sure. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And so that gives a man a new identity. That identity takes over his energy. That energy looks like an expression of love for God and people that brings God's righteousness and justice to earth for people. Wow, that's so good. Such a such a higher calling. And I think a lot of times, I'll just speak for myself, you know, we we go through the motions, we don't feel like we can make an impact. We don't feel like there's anything above the day to day, you know, I go to work, I come home, I, you know, my, I have my kids running around, I go to bed, I just repeat, rinse and repeat. Uh, and so how do you get men focused on that higher calling that that, you know, overcoming apathy, if you will, let's just say in the Christian church. So someone's, you know, men are already, are already a Christian. What do you speak to them to kind of motivate them to, to, to do more, to, to, to focus on maybe the home first and then, and then the community and, and, and growing from there? Well, I like to say, uh, Tim, that one transformed man transforms many things. Mm. You know, when you, when you, when you look at um, how to, how to spawn healthy movement um, in culture and in your community. Um, Usually it requires an experience of personal transformation. And then somebody evangelizes the same transformation that, that they experienced. And so, you know, it's, it's one life. And so when it comes to men um, it's, if you can help change one life, uh, and and help them defeat what's defeating them. Men are men are evangelists. I mean, we evangelize golf clubs, cars, <laughs> teams. You know, we get yeah. excited. We're passionate. But when a man defeats what's defeating him, defeat is defeating him and sabotaging his relationships with God and people. You help a man get a win there, and then he evangelizes that transformation. Mm. And then when you change the phrase, one transformed man transforms many things to many transformed men transform many things. That is the story of the birth of the church. Um, God's spirit empowering a small group of men, um, them transforming from unhealthy male culture. You know, you look at Jesus and he walked into a male culture that said, thank God I'm not a woman, a kid or a Gentile. And then he promptly flipped the narrative and through action these men were discipled by him. They're filled with his spirit. They go do the same thing. The world sees it and goes, man, that transformation is from God. I want to be a part of that. That's good. So um, quantity is not uh, as important as the quality of the, the ministry that you do to men. So, you know, if it's just one life, if it's a son, if you're a dad and you have a son, you know, there's a saying from the Talmud, I teach my son and I teach my son's son. You know, there's a generational impact to that. But then in the, in the second circle of your life, if you can help a man get into relationship with God, get healthy on the inside, get strong as a disciple and get going into influence with one life, that one life, it's like Spurgeon said, big wheels turn on small axles, Mm. right? So that one life might impact millions of lives, right? You know, it's like, the discipleship chain of D.L. Moody and the guy that led him to Christ to Billy Graham. They're all connected. Wow. You know, Mordecai Ham was leaving a, a, a rally because he was defeated and no one was coming to Christ. He put his car in reverse and did his last session and Billy Graham came to Christ. <laughs> you know, so you just never know. Just come alongside of a life 
in your yeah. family and in your community and, and, and give them Jesus and give them what you know about Jesus. And then they will do the same. That's so good. I, 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 we talk about seven degrees of separation with celebrities. I wonder, you know, all the degrees of separation with people that witnessed to others that then went on and did amazing ministries or, you know, the impact is hard to quantify, but it's so important that we do, you know, evangelize and share the, the hope that lies within. And I think, you know, a lot of times men, well, I can't evangelize. I can't tell people about Jesus. But like you said, we evangelize sports. We evangelize fishing. We evangelize all kinds oh, yeah. of things that is important yeah. to us. Why can't we do that about Jesus? Right. That fire is burning inside. We can't contain it. Yeah, that's true. Amen. Cool. So speaking of uh, the ministry, it does you, you partner with churches helping build up men's ministries. Um, I would say two things. So wh- what would you say to leaders who are listening, who, who are in church? What would be one of the some of the tools you can give them if they partner with your ministry? And then what is some of the the bigger issues facing churches today? Yeah. um, Well, I look at pastors because I am one. I need a leadership engine. I'm not supposed to do everything myself. Yeah. I'm supposed to raise up um, leaders who can shepherd the people. And I know that I'm speaking to every pastor because I am one. Uh, where we would love to have, say, for example, what Moses ended up having after a little discussion with his father-in-law. Right. He said, you're going to burn out. And what you need are capable men filled with the Holy Spirit who can carry the burden with you. Um, Pastors need what is talked about in uh, Judges chapter 11 when evil is assaulting a community. And there's this place called the land of Tob. And in the land of Tob, Jephthah lives. And he's this really, he's a really wrong candidate (laughs) to to save a community. But he's got some mad skills and can hold a blade and he can defend. And the person they previously shunned and kicked out of their faith community was actually the person, a man, who had a group of friends that ended up saving that community. And so I I use those parables and those narratives historically from scripture that um, the church has gold underneath the floorboards and the person who is least likely to attend for one flight demographic out of the church, men at young and old, because it's not a place to be great. It's a place where women and children gather, Mm -hmm. but we have the model. And so it's about culture, ethos, the biblical Jesus, ecosystems where it's easy for a guy to get in, easy for a guy to get healthy, creating spaces for men. You know, I tell new members of my church, the greatest gift that we can give our community is a spiritually strong, relationally committed and emotionally grown up man. Mm. And the applause from the women is immediate. You'd think they might go, (laughs) wait, why is this church investing in broken male culture? But I have to define it. Yeah, I have to say, hey, listen, uh, the issue is not masculine strength. Is The issue is, is there character and compassion in the Holy Spirit guiding that strength? Mm. Yeah. And then they're on board. And so we have to flip this narrative, pastors, and get out of the world and into what um, Christ-centered masculinity looks like. We have a model. 
Yeah. And his name is Jesus. And he was dangerous with goodness. And that Mm -hmm. ethos is hardwired into us. We want to be great. We want to do great things. I mean, look at you, Tim. You started this podcast and you're helping thousands of people all the time, but you had to take a risk. Right. And you had to have a transcendent cause, you know, and that's what all men are looking for. They want to be great and do great. But the church has to create ecosystems just like they do for kids, just like they do for high school students, just like they do for women. And we got to stop dealing our aces, the men in our congregations to the devil, because if we don't provide a strong space for them, they'll find strength out in the culture. Mm, Amen. That's so good. And I think that, you know, a lot of times we just, and there's nothing wrong with programs, but we create programs to kind of bring men in without getting to the heart of the matter. And, you know, building that relationship first with Jesus, you know, there's nothing wrong with going ax throwing or or shooting or all that kind of stuff. But, you know, if we build the discipleship first, like you're saying, that character is going to come out and it's going to grow and, and, you know, like a fire spreading to people around him. And that's what we need in the church. And, you know, I'll, I'll go, I'll go on to small groups next, you know, the importance of small groups, but I'll, I'll just say with that, you know, when you just put small groups out there, you know, as a sign up for a four month course or something, or, you know, I have seen in our church, you know, people don't just run at the chance for that. But when you talk about like accountability groups for myself, I'm in one now and I have not always been in one, but it's something that, you know, maybe 10 years ago, I would say, I'm fine. I don't, I don't need men or, you know, around me to speak into my life. I I, I got this, you know, as men, we, we got this a lot. And a lot of times that can lead to our, um, (laughs) over, overconfidence and, and sometimes a downfall, but, I'll backtrack. So just, you know, what would you say has been the importance of small groups for, for men and women alike in, in the church and in, in your life? Um, well, you can't underestimate them. You know, you have, you have moving from becoming a creation of God to becoming a child of God, and then you become a member of a family. Jesus is our brother. God is our father. And the church is our family. Yeah. And we have to be connected to that family. And that's, you know, our ecclesiology is poor. Um, we, we filter church as a, with a Western consumer mindset, and it becomes an accessory that to our personal wellness program, uh, just like supplements in the gym mm. and a triple grande vanilla latte <laughs> is, it just becomes a part of versus becoming essential, mm. you know, and if we thought about spiritual family, the way we think about first family for yeah. many of our listeners, we would change our tune and we would hunger for that connection, hunger for that comfort, That's hunger good. for that acceptance, hunger for that insight that the collective has. You know, God not only made a new you, but he formed a new community. And you cannot experience God's purpose for your life disconnected from the new community that he has formed. Mm. And men are notorious for being independent. And not wanting to, um, not wanting to deeply connect. They'll connect causally. They'll yeah. connect casually, but they won't connect deeply uh, because we're more interested in competing versus connecting. Mm, and good. and so that's why we're losing. Yeah. Uh, if if you're if you're a man and you have an issue, but all I see is the tip of your iceberg and not what's bubbling underneath the surface of your life, I cannot help you to transparency. It goes to community. It goes to authenticity. It goes to frequency. The same things that we apply 
in other dimensions of our lives, our work dimension, maybe our family dimension, where does that come from? It comes from the spiritual dimension, the Christ-centered dimension. And so, you know, you can't underestimate, I always tell men, you know, isolation kills and connection conquers. And when you're in a spiritual battle with a lion who hunts, Mm. a lion has to isolate someone from the community that it belongs to, from the herd. To, to take that person down. And so there's a lot of men I know that are listening to us right now. They're vulnerable yeah, because they're isolated and God's calling them to come back to the body and in and specifically Christ-centered male community. And I will speak to this one other thing that, that men's men's issues of godliness are unique to men and women's issues of godliness are unique to women. God created us male and female. And we, we have, different, um, different creative, uh, orders inside of us in terms of how we're built psychologically, relationally, where in a group of mixed couples, men will not be transparent Mm. about the things that are bothering them because they are uh, afraid of what people in the collective group of men and women will think of. But if you put that guy in a group of men and someone's transparent about whatever lust, marital struggle, financial struggle, uh, the guys will respond and say, hey, guess what? I'm right there with you. And now he's safe. And now he can process that. Yeah. You know, that's my experience. So critical, critical being connected to men. And, and it's a command, not a suggestion in the Bible. Yeah. Amen to that. Uh, there's so much I could say. I, I wrote a Bible plan on the Version app called Hurt by Christians. And just, you know, a lot of times the hurt that we have felt, even from the church, keeps us from wanting to be connected again. But I would just encourage everyone, check that out. Make sure that that does not, you know, God's not the one that hurts you. He hurts you no. through fallible people. And that's right. no reason that you should not be connected because we need that. Like you said, it's like breathing. It's part of our part yeah. of our, our nature that God created us with to need yeah. connection and vulnerability with others. So. I'm going to, I'm going to let you in here. Just talk more about your book, Dangerous Good. I know you talked about a bunch of principles already, but anything else you want to say about the book? You know, what, what is the revolution that you talk about that starts with men in that book? Well, it, it, it goes to, um, becoming like Christ, you know, Christ was the original dangerous, good man. And that ethos, that desire in us to be great and do great things God's original intent is to to make us like our older brother, Jesus. That's what it says in the book of Romans. Um, That's what it says in the book of Colossians, that God is is creating us like him. Well, then we have to ask the question, well, what was he like? Well, he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he's anointed me too. Mm. And then when you look at the different things that he lists, it's being dangerous with goodness. And, you know, when you look at the fantasy dangerous good world of Marvel Comics or DC Comics or the Avengers or whatever. The reason we spend billions of dollars as men is because we want to be great. We want to deliver justice. We want to stick it to evil. We want special power. Well, God has hardwired us to do that, but it's found not in fantasy. It's found in reality. Yeah. In the reality of a relationship with Jesus, the original dangerous good guy. And once you know who you are in Christ, then you'll know what to do. But right now we have in our culture, 700 million men who name the name of Jesus on planet earth, but they're like Simba in the mm. Lion King. You know, they're, they, they operate in this realm to which they do not belong. Mm. But God's spirit is calling men and kind of being the Rafiki figure and kind of pushing them to their identity and saying, hey, look, you're a son of the king, all right? Yeah. 
and uh, there's evil out there and you need to confront it because a lot of people are counting on you. But if you don't know who you are, you will not know what to do. And so um, Dangerous Good is all about rediscovering identity in Christ that it fulfills completely. And there's a revolution on the other side of us giving ourselves to that identity. That's so good. And, and I'll just finish by saying that, you know, it's growth is so important. Like you said about the lion cub, like we have to grow. A lot of times people think salvation is the finish line. It's the starting point in our Christian race. And we have to make sure that we, you know, find ways that others can mentor us and grow into that, you know, that purpose, that, that lion that we're supposed to be for the kingdom. That's right. Good. Awesome. Pastor Kenny. Well, I'm going to let you finish on just, you know, where can people connect with you? How can they get your book? Anything else you want to plug? Yeah, they can just go to everymanministries.com. They can download the Everyman app. They can join us weekly with thousands of men on Thursday morning for the men's global live stream. Your church can, your small group can, and you can just go to Everyman Ministries. Tons of resources there for you. Awesome. I will put the links in the show notes. Thank you so much for coming on. God bless you and your ministry. Thank you, sir. All right. Thank you, Tim. That's going to do it for today. Thank you so much for being here and listening to this podcast. If you like what you heard, definitely consider rating and reviewing this, especially on iTunes. A five-star rating goes a long way and a written review. It only takes a few seconds and it would help me greatly if you would take the time to do that. And for next week, I have the Benham brothers with me, David and Jason Benham. They are entrepreneurs helping Christians and business leaders grow in knowledge of business and also passion for the things of God. And so I definitely hope you check that out. Do a quick Google search to know who they are and see what they're involved in to prep you for next week. And until then, go with God, grow in discernment and keep your eyes on Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Everyday Discernment Podcast. For more information on Discerning Dad, go to discerning-dad.com. Be sure to follow on all the social media platforms. Just search for Discerning Dad. Please share this podcast with a friend and leave an honest review on whichever platform you listen. Feel free to send any comments, suggestions, questions, or prayer requests at discerningdad at outlook.com. Until next time. Keep fighting the good fight.